You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central. And you can always give us a listen on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Without further ado, grab a cup of joe, find a comfy chair, and enjoy the conversation. Good morning and welcome to Coffee and Clergy. I'm Pastor Doug Chinberg. I'm Pastor Scott Pitch and we're glad to have you back with us once again for Coffee and Clergy. This is week three of our study called Dual Citizenship where we discuss the um, the interaction of, of government and politics in America and the faith life of a Christian. And so we're excited to have you back. If you're, uh, this is your first time joining us, we want to say welcome. And to also make you aware that if you want to start from the beginning of this section, you can always find uh, previous episodes of Coffee and Clergy on YouTube or Facebook, or you can find them on our in podcast format wherever you get your podcast. So, but if you are back with us, uh, we're, we are glad to have you back and hope you uh, enjoy the conversation today. Yeah. Uh, so today's, today's topic is a continuation. We, we talked the first week about the right-hand realm and the left-hand realm and what that means. And last week we talked about um, vocation in a Christian's life and how God has called us to be active in our, in our lives as Christians. And then this week we're going to talk about the dynamic of uh, just government, meaning a government that promotes justice and, and the welfare of its people and, and the defending of its nation, and Christians and their role in holding government accountable to those standards of justice. And so we've got a good discussion hopefully for you today. Yeah, it's kind of a unique situation that we have here in America. Of, of being citizens that uh, are a part of the governing authority and how do we play that part and how yeah. do we hold them accountable. Yeah. So before we begin, let's uh, maybe open with a prayer. So we'll join us in prayer as we begin today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful day that we have to do your will. Uh, in this day, we pray that you would guide our discussion uh, on the the concept of good government, of just leaders, and of Christians holding those leaders accountable towards a standard of, of excellence and righteousness. I pray, O oh God, that you would um, guide the thoughts and the minds of each person who's joining us, that they would come to know you and that the Holy Spirit would move on their hearts to help them to hear your word and to put it into good practice in their lives. And we pray all of this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. And uh, so um, maybe we should take a moment just to review. Sure. Um, if we have some new listeners or viewers online, we mm -hmm. can talk about um, uh, what we mean by the two kingdoms mm -hmm. or uh, what we've been referring to as the two realms. Two realms. Mm -hmm. uh, there's really just one kingdom, and God is the king over that entire kingdom, but there are two realms. Mm -hmm. So we talk about the left-handed realm and the right-handed realm. Yeah, there's two, two modes of operation for God's authority here on the earth. The right-hand realm is his authority expressed through the church. Um, it's where salvation and where the law uh, exists and where the gospel reigns. And so we um, have authorities through the church where God is the king of the church. We also have the left-hand realm, and the left-hand realm is government. government. And they have been established by God also. Mm -hmm. uh, they are accountable to him. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Yep. And 
uh, as they do their function, as they, uh, they, they govern people, obviously, but they, uh, they protect people. They are there to serve uh, uh, the, those that are under, um, uh, that they're governing. And um, uh, they, they promote justice. They provide peace um, so that businesses can flourish and people can uh, do well in society. There can mm-hmm. be a... Um, uh, a good and healthy uh, life among the people that uh, that are under their rule. And frankly, from a Christian perspective, we know that all people are sinners, so the government helps protect people from people in a lot of ways, and that's one, a good thing. One sinner from another. Yeah, yeah. one sinner from another. Which is, so, a, which is a God-ordained thing. He wants government to do that, and so we'll, t- we'll talk about more th- yeah. a bit more about that. So we talked about the two realms and how they interact. We talked a little bit about uh, Martin Luther and how he developed that. And then in week two, we talked about Christian vocation, and we said that vocation are those, those callings that we have as the people of God, those opportunities that he's placed in our life to be um, active and to love and to serve our neighbor and to serve God. And so it's things like, our workplaces, our families, the church. Um, we talked about the three estates and how that applies to vocation. And those three estates were government, government and church, mm-hmm, the church and the, and home. the home. Yeah. yeah. So there was three, three areas of, of influence for each person of how they can utilize and employ their vocations to serve their neighbor and to serve God. And, and so. God has given his authority in each of those uh, estates so that people can carry on his work in the world. Yeah. And so the, the ideal, you could say, form of, of government would be, or society would be the, the one in which there are Christians living out their vocations because that would be the, the ideal way for humans to interact with each other, to interact with the creation, um, to, to preserve life and to uphold um, righteousness. And so um, we as Christians realize and acknowledge the world is never going to be a perfect place where all people live out their vocations perfectly, but we have control over our own vocations, and we know that when we fulfill our vocations, good things happen in the world around us. There's yeah. a ripple effect. To, to us, to others, uh, and in the world. Yep, and, and we also us. acknowledge when we don't fulfill our vocations, there's a, there's a negative ripple effect as well. To us, to others, and to the world, yeah. that's right. So, um, vocation is a very powerful idea, and um, and so I would recommend if you haven't seen that one or, or both of those, you should go watch them. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about accountability, yep. and uh, some people like that term, some people don't. <laughs> and um, but God tells us that we are we are a, we're held accountable, mm-hmm. and so uh, the question is, to whom is a Christian held accountable? Yeah. So so Christianity is a is a as an as a, uh, entire body, has certain things to which it is accountable. But we as Christians individually in, our, in the way we live our life have accountability. It's actually a vital part of our life as a Christian to be accountable. And so we are accountable um, first and foremost to God. We are his beloved children. We are his creation. He put us here. He gave us everything we have, the life and the breath in our lungs and the, the skills and abilities and the financial resources that we have. And so we have all of these things from God, but yet we are to be held accountable to God for those things and for our lives. Um, So go ahead. And not only are we held accountable to God, but we're also held accountable to our neighbor, to those who live around us, to those that we love and serve, to those who are part of our, uh, that we 
uh, are part of in government with, mm-hmm. that we are in the church with, and that we are uh, in our home with. Yeah. So, and so I think if you get your relationship right or have a, a right understanding of the relationship of accountability with God, you acknowledge that his word reigns supreme, and if you heed his word, then his word says, love your neighbor. And so you are not only accountable for your own well-being and your own actions in this life, you're also accountable to God, and because you're accountable to God, you're accountable to your neighbor. Yeah. And maybe another question uh, that, that stems from that is when we fail in doing what God asks us to do, um, what should be our response? Uh, one of humility and of repentance. Absolutely. Yeah. To, return, yeah. um, to return to God and, and admit our shortcomings and then ask for his strength to, to change and carry on. Yeah, and we do that in connection in our relationship with God. We do that in connection with our relationship with one another as we live in the world. Yeah, iron uh, sharpens iron, right? That we are better having lived in this world with people around yeah. us. Yeah, we're better, a phrase I like is we're better together. Better together. Yeah, we're better together. Definitely. And, um, uh, and it's, uh, it causes me to think back to when God first created the world and he told Adam it's not good for the man to be alone. Mm-hmm. Um, he recognized that it was good for us to be in relationship with one another and a part of that relationship in the sinful world uh, is that we are accountable to each yeah. other. And, and there are moments where we're glad there are other people who are accountable for us. And I think yeah. each person likes to think of themselves as an island, but you were born an infant completely dependent on somebody else for your own life and well-being. So all human beings have this innate understanding of, of accountability for other people. It's part of what makes human beings human beings. So, yeah. so what, what is the standard to which we're held accountable by yeah. God and by others? Well... All men are held accountable to a standard whether they want to be or not. And as Christians, we acknowledge that standard to be the word of God. Um, the law, you could say. That's God's standard for our lives. If God is the, uh, I like the, the analogy of he's an engineer, and he has pulled out his, I'm going to go old school, his slide rule and his blueprints, and he's measured us, and he's intricately designed us and crafted us, and then we say, well, I can decide what my design specifications are. And that's not how it works. The engineer is the one who designs and sets the specifications for how, and the standards for how that thing should operate. And so if God is our designer and our maker, he gets to choose the standard by which we live our lives. And so his standard is the law. Yeah, that's why we call him Lord. He is mm-hmm. the Lord of our life. He is the one who has established and set that standard. Yeah. Um, and uh, while there may be some people that, that say, well, I'm not uh, a Christian, so I don't, I don't necessarily believe in the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. but there is a, a natural law yeah. that God has built into this world and even built into our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, we can talk about the conscience. Uh, God has given us a conscience so that we know what is right and what is wrong. Um, uh, so, for example, we know that it's wrong to hurt another person to take their life. We know it's wrong to lie. We know it's wrong to steal. Um, and the, that's a part of the natural law. God has even built in us that um, uh, the understanding that there is someone greater than us mm-hmm. that we are accountable to. Yep. Uh, they may not know him as the God of Scripture, um, uh, but uh, 
that's who he is, and um, he wants people not only to recognize him as the maker and creator and the owner of all things, um, but God has a great desire for us to know him personally, yeah. and that's why he's written scripture and um, given us the task as his people of, of making him known. Yeah. So, so in that sense, he's, he's not just an engineer. He's actually designed the thing to use it, too. He's, he's, he loves the thing he created and wants to know it and wants yeah. to be a part of its life. And that's, that's unique and novel, I think, that we... In any other religion in the, yeah. in the world. Yeah, yeah, it is. No other religion in the world has that same desire from the deity to be, to be interwoven in the person's life, to be loved, to love, um, and to... To be in relationship. To be in relationship, yeah. yeah. God himself in his, in his being and in his um, nature is in relationship. The Trinity is relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at work um, as one. So, so we, we find ourselves uh, accountable. Uh, we hold ourselves accountable uh, according to God's standard, mm-hmm. the law. Uh, so what's the standard against which Christians should hold each other accountable, other yeah. people in the world, whether they're a Christian or not? Yeah. Um, well, the, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says um, not to judge, and uh, a lot of times people in society take that and they use it to say, you know, uh, you shouldn't tell other people what to do. But Jesus doesn't stop with saying don't judge. He actually says that whatever standard you use um, for others to, to judge and, and hold them accountable, that's the standard to which you will be held by your God. So he's t- trying to showcase for people that we should check ourselves. We should get the log out of our own eye, if you want to use that, that uh, parable. It before we start looking at specks on other people's eyes. So before we begin to judge others, we should first look inwardly to to analyze ourselves. That doesn't mean that we have no account. We have we hold no one else in society accountable for their actions. We do that all the time. Um, instead, what we should do is acknowledge first that we are sinners too, and then point them to the same standard to which we hold ourselves which is the law, the, the yeah. word of God. As I, as I think about the law, I think about, uh, Luther talked about three purposes of the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, the law is a mirror uh, that shows us our sins. It shows us when we're uh, not doing what God has asked us to do, commanded us to do. Um, it, it also acts as a, as a, a curb or a club if we, uh, in the same way that uh, if a person is driving down the road, if you go over the curb, it's going to, um, you're going to feel it in your car. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a club, if, if you are willingly going outside of, of God's will, uh, God uses the club through um, uh, police and others who um, uh, uh, help govern our, our society, but yep. uses the club to bring us back into the way that we should go. Yep. And we also talk about the, uh, the rule or guide uh, is the law. This is where, uh, what we talk about in the Lutheran Church is the third use of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's meant to be a guide to show us this is how God would have us live. Yeah, kind of the road map and um, what, where you are going, what your purpose is, and how to get there. And so, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think uh, utilizing all three uses of the law here is very good when we, when we consider how we apply the law to ourselves and how we apply it to others. Um, we, should, we, we should be cautious to over-utilize the law when, we're, when we are trying to 
communicate with other people about their lives. You, you want to hold them to a standard, but by the same token, you approach humbly, acknowledging your own sin first. And that's where we as Christians have a different, different model for how to approach the sinfulness in the world around us. Is we don't start trying to go after the sinfulness of the world around us with a pitchfork and a, and a torch. Instead, we, go, we start with the process of transforming the world out there by dropping to our knees and transforming the world in here, transforming the, the mess in our own life by, by bringing our, our humble um, confession before God. And then we work through our vocations to try and transform others through the law um, as well. And, and we recognize uh, that God's word and spirit are the ones that change us and, and uh, even give us that desire to do what is pleasing to God. Yeah. Um, and so we, uh, we recognize we can't do that by ourselves. And so we, uh, again, are dependent upon God um, uh, to show us what's right and to help us do what's right. And, and we're dependent to go once again to who we're accountable to. We're, we're dependent on other people to help us see our own flaws because we all know that we're blind to yeah. our own our own flaws a lot of times and so having having devoted christian relationships is so key and vital to the life of a christian person to not only encourage in fulfilling the third use of the law but to help adjust and 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 uh, and make corrections where needed so Go so ahead. why is accountability necessary to a good functioning society yeah. um uh, why is it a benefit to have government with a kind of a, a built-in checks and balance system? Yeah, we have a society that benefits from accountability in all, mm -hmm. all aspects. There's never, there's never a time where we're holding a CEO accountable to its shareholders has been bad. There's never a time where holding a government accountable to its people yeah. and its actions has been bad. Accountability only produces transparency, honesty, um, efficiencies. There, there's, always, there's always a benefit to accountability in society. And so our, our forefathers here in this country were very wise in employing the use of accountability in the design of its government. Um, from the very beginning, that was one of the things they did is they tried to um, limit the powers of the, the, the government by ensuring that there were checks and balances between the different um, branches of the government. And when you read our, our Bill of Rights, um, the interesting thing about the, the Bill of Rights and, and the constitutional amendments at large is that um, the, the constitutional amendments and the Constitution itself tell the government what it's allowed to do, not, what, not the people what it's allowed to do. And so the, the governed people have... Um, kind of this inherent freedom to do anything except that which the Constitution restricts the people from doing. And that's novel, I think, because in most countries it's kind of, the people have no rights except that which the king grants to them. And so it's a complete um, flipping over of, of the, the kind of uh, model of, of government here and in so, the United States. So when we talk about freedom, uh, we're reminded what we're free, that, that we're free to do many things, but mm -hmm. there are restrictions so yep. that society can function well. And so that's where accountability becomes so vital, because if, if you have an entire government based on absolute freedom, that can quickly become, you know, 
anarchy and cacophony in, in society. So yeah. this is where accountability is so important is we hold ourselves accountable, we hold our neighbors accountable, they hold us accountable. Um, our government, we hold it accountable and, and it holds it, us accountable. And it's built to hold itself accountable as yeah. well. So, and so the three branches, maybe we should take a moment and talk sure. about the three branches and their purpose. Yeah, so you've got the um, executive branch, which is the, the president and his cabinet and his um, his uh, his uh, boards and other things that he oversees to execute the law. You have the legislative branch, which is the Congress, the Senate, and the House of Representatives that um, have different different nuances in their roles, but they both put to put to um, to vote uh, on behalf of the people as representatives. Um, kind of laws, to they put establish in, laws, mm-hmm. and. and so and that the, things they, can be done in a good and orderly way. Yeah, and they oversee funding um, for government programs and for implementation of those laws. And then you have the um, the judicial branch, which is the Supreme Court, which oversees um, the constitutionality of the law, um, the laws that are passed, and the um, and as of the early 1800s, it also has judicial review, which is a not a, not expressed thing in the um, Constitution, but gives the Supreme Court power to um, to actively go look at aspects of our government and our society to review them based on the Constitution. So um, the three hold uh, checks and balances with each other in that the um, the government the the uh, president appoints the judges that sit on the Supreme Court. Um, the Congress has the ability to impeach the President of the United States for high crimes and misdemeanors, and the um, Supreme Court gets to analyze the constitutionality of the bills that are passed on in the Congress. So, no one no one branch of government can can become the total dictator. Total, yeah, total <laughs> dictator for for the um, for the United States. It cannot take absolute power for itself at the at the weakening of the other two. Um, and there, and while that that can be frustrating, you know, you sometimes people get frustrated about government, but mm-hmm. it but that checks and balances uh, it key and important uh, so that that very thing doesn't happen. Yeah, and. Um, um, but uh, again, they as they function well and work mm-hmm. well with each other, then uh, hopefully good laws are passed um, um, and uh, activities that um, uh, bring again God's blessings to the people um, can be given to them to uh, to carry on the work that God gives us in the world. Yeah, and so from this comes the next question we have: Is what happens in in nations where governments are not designed to have accountability in mind. Oh, and then um, uh, even as each person, each individual can um, begin to focus on themselves and uh, do what they desire, um, if, if a government or a leader in government has total control, they begin to govern uh, uh, in a very selfish uh, way, which often brings uh, pain and hardship to their subjects yeah. and to their country. That's where you run into things like absolutism, and you run into um, into you know brutal dictators, and and it's one of those kind of snowball effects that as these kind of demagogues begin to gain power, it snowballs and grows larger and larger and larger until they um, f- to to perpetuate their own power, they must. You know, destroy all opposition, and, and eventually you see no more accountability amongst the government. That's not to say that there's not people in that in those nations that should 
hold those people accountable. But that's one of the unique things in the United States we have here is that we have a government that has an inherent network of accountability. And yet, it can still be abused, and it still requires the citizens to hold it accountable. And so, um, why, why are we talking about the, the network and the inner workings of the government? Uh, this is a podcast about religion, but I think it's important we understand here in America how things are designed so that we, we can know as Christians how we can best be those citizens who influence and who hold our government accountable. Live out our life in a good and godly way yeah. as we live in the world, as God intends us to do. Mm-hmm. And so if, if we want our government to be just, uh, again, we're looking at the left-hand realm. We um, need to do this one first here. Ah, okay. <clears throat> oh, so, so what is, another question, um, is what is the role of the American people in maintaining accountability yeah. in the government? So we, as uh, we've talked about the fact that we are a people, um, um, uh, we make up our government uh, it's a government uh, by the people, for the people, of the people. Mm-hmm. And um, so what is, our, what is our process and purpose in holding and maintaining accountability within our government? Yeah, I think it, it begins simply with uh, being good citizens, it's striving to, to um, obey the fourth commandment that we have to honor our father and mother, which includes um, the government and other authorities that God has put in our lives. And so... Um, simply by um, modeling the, the um, ideal citizen would be a good way in which we can hold our government accountable because um, as, as it says, I think, uh, I think this is Romans 13, that good, go- no, it, yeah, the good government holds no terror for those who follow the law. Those, those who do right, those but who for do those right. who do wrong. But for those who do wrong, it is the, the force of God's justice at play. So that's not an exact quote, it's a paraphrase, but... Um, that to, that's how we can kind of maintain a good accountability is to be good citizens, but also to participate in the process. This is something that's unique to um, Western democracies. We, we are the people who constitute the government. Mm-hmm. And so um, the government is made up of us. And if we participate, then there will be a greater voice for, um, for Christian principles, for God, um, for righteousness and morality in government, and for, for leaders with good moral fiber and character. And so we can help keep a government accountable by participating. And then the last one is um, to, be a, to be a people who speak out for those who can't speak for themselves. Um, one way we can absolutely make sure that the government is held accountable is anytime they begin to abuse um, the powers that they have to be to be public servants to um, people and start lording it over like a demagogue or a dictator. That's where we as Christian people have a have a responsibility um, to speak out for those who are oppressed. Yeah, and there's a, you know I think of examples that can where laws can be very difficult and there can be a, a, a wide range of opinions. Uh, we could bring up the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And while on the one hand we would want healthcare for everyone, um, there is also a re- reality that we can't afford to do everything for everyone, mm-hmm. or we would spend all of our money just in healthcare. And so, what, what are the limits? Yep. Um, what are the, the directives that are given so that we can uh, offer health uh, to people? Um, and yet at the same time, um, uh, 
not spend all of our resources just on health. Mm-hmm. Um, you could do the same thing with any of the areas of government. You could do the same thing it? with military. You could do the same thing with research. You could do the same thing with, you know, economic stimulus. You could do, I mean, that's why discernment is such an important skill for the people we choose to be our leaders. If people that we vote for do not have an understanding of these things, then, then um, they're not going to be able to employ God's wisdom in, in executing and, yeah. and putting in the place. I think of um, another example, one of the ways that we speak out for the oppressed is, is why we, uh, especially in the Lutheran Church, uh, 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 talk about the life of the unborn is, mm-hmm. is, is valuable. We see them created in the image of God. They are, uh, it's a person, mm-hmm. uh, even though they're not yet born, yeah. uh, but they are a person created in the image of God. And because of that, they have innate value in themselves. And for more on that, come back next week, because next week we're talking about the issues, the political issues that God has a word to say about. And so we'll discuss that at at greater length next week. So sneak peek. Okay. (laughs) So... So uh, again, talking about we want the the government to be just as we look at the left-hand kingdom. Uh, So what is government's uh, primary objective? Mm -hmm. Uh, What's their purpose um, as they do the tasks that God has given them to do? And what is is it that God put government in place for? That's a good question to think about as as we start to think about the standard to which we hold government, we need to think about what God originally designed it for too. And so um, we see that there are uh, some things that God has to say in, in the Word of God about, about what governments are here to do. But um, some of the big ones uh, that we'll talk about are to protect the innocent, to, um, to punish the lawbreakers, and to um, execute justice, and to defend its people. And so um, all of these things exist in a world that is filled with sinful people. Um, we wouldn't need to defend the innocent if there weren't people trying to take advantage, take advantage of, of the innocent. We wouldn't need to um, to uh, punish the lawbreaker. Punish if lawbreakers if there were no lawbreakers. We yeah. would not need to execute justice if there were no injustice in the world. Mm-hmm. So all of these things are in place because the world is a broken and sinful place. So this is a, this thing you could probably positively say is that on the on the last day when. When God comes to be um, to sit on His throne and be the King of Kings, government and its human institution will be wiped away. There will be no more um, what we know of today as the left hand kingdom. It will become all part of God's kingdom. And God will rule, God will and, rule. in 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 perfect justice yep. and perfect righteousness, mm-hmm. in perfect love, yep. and. Uh, we, we, we look forward to that day coming. Yeah, there will be no more need to protect the innocent because everyone will be innocent and protected by their God and there will be no one trying to take advantage of them anymore. No one will need to be, there will not be any more need to punish the lawbreaker because lawbreakers will no, be no more. So um, that's the, the joy for us who are in Christ Jesus on the last day is uh, one of the few of many, many joys is that um, we will no longer have that aspect of of our life anymore. Yeah, that sinful nature, we won't have to struggle with that. God will make all things perfect and good. Um, and in the same way, same way that he gives us uh, work to do today, there will be work in his kingdom at that time. And, and so we'll see what it will be. It's, yeah. uh, uh, it's kind of, it's exciting. And uh, at the same time, a little mysterious. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but uh, 
Uh, but we, we look to God and we trust in God and we thank him for the work that he does. Yeah. But uh, coming back to earth, sometimes I get uh, <laughs> this heavenly perspective, but coming back to earth, uh, so what powers does God give to rulers to accomplish the work that he's given them? Yeah, uh, this is why we would say the government has the authority of God because it has the ability, the, you can say God-given ability to bear the sword. That's the way Martin Luther probably would have put it when he was talking about the princes and the, and the emperor and the, the left-hand rulers at his time as they have this not only ability to utilize their powers, they actually have the responsibility to utilize their powers to accomplish their, their mission because their mission is a God-given mission to um, seek to seek justice and to punish lawbreakers to defend its people. And so um, it has the, the authority and the tool set of God in terms of its ability to put, put the sword to whatever issue it needs to to address sinfulness in the world um, in terms of, uh, may not, not address sinfulness because what addresses sinfulness is the gospel which is a right hand realm thing. It's more to, to confront sinfulness maybe might be a better way of putting it. They use the sword to confront sinfulness It's for the sake of those who are in society. Yeah, and so, uh, so what uh, or who are rulers then accountable to as we, we look at our rulers of today? Um, uh, we recognize they're, they're accountable to God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think if, when you look at a, a medieval king, let's use like Louis Fourteenth as an example. He, he called himself the Sun King, and he was the absolute monarch in, in France. And he said essentially he was only accountable to God. That's the only person, their only force in the entire universe he was accountable to was God. And then, and oftentimes if a person places themselves in that position, uh, they, they are accountable to God uh, only with the things they want to be accountable to yeah. God to yeah. uh, or for. And, um, uh, and that's where sinful people get out of balance and, mm-hmm. um, and it begins to bring uh, pain and suffering into uh, yeah. the lives of people and to their subjects. I guess in retrospect, in, in, in looking at that kind of a ruler, you, you could say that it's actually not in accordance with God's plan because God's plan always encompasses accountability to our neighbor. Even if you are the sun king, you're still accountable to the people around you in your life. And he, he definitely had a vocation, you could say, to be the mm-hmm. king. Yeah. So um, universally speaking, the only consistent um, accountability that the government has is to God. They may not acknowledge God as a source of, of authority over them. And so, um, but as Christians, we know that all of the authority that our government has comes from God. Therefore, all governments are accountable to God. But here in America, we have a unique system of government where our government is accountable to its people. It's designed in our constitution that way. It's been reiterated through um, continuous practice that that the people are the ones who hold power here in the United States of America. Would would we say that the uh, the government is also accountable to the church? That's a good question. Um, so it it may not be. It's it's not like the church is going to tell the government what to do. But is there a place for the church to speak out against government when it gets off base? See, this is where I would say I would actually say no. The church does not have that authority, but the constituent members of the body of Christ that we call the church definitely do. The institution of the church is it's kind of I don't I don't believe it has the 
the God-given responsibility to hold government accountable. I think it's more, because that's when you run into things like the Pope saying, on behalf of the church, I, I cast you out, king. Like, that's not a, a power that the church has or has been given. Um, it's an interesting question, is, is though. The church, accountability, is the though. church to speak um, if, if government gets off base? Should the church speak out? That's a really good question. And um, I'm, both, I'm not and, sure. You know, both with individuals and even with pastors. Yeah. Um, but I'm, and, and there are some, some ways in which we do. Again, mm-hmm. you think about abortion. Yeah. Uh, the church speaks out and says that that is, that is wrong. That's not according to God's will or plan. Mm-hmm. And so in, in cases like abortion, uh, where they're clearly wrong going against God's will, mm-hmm. um, we, we should speak up and speak out. Yeah. Um, but if, if it's a, a, a personal, if it's just my opinion as mm-hmm. a pastor that the government is going down the wrong way, uh, and it's not clearly written in God's word, um, then it becomes more uh, my opinions and desires rather yeah. than God's clear directive in his word. Mm-hmm. And this is where, as Lutherans, we have a kind of a novel approach, I think, because on the one hand, you could say the church is and should be primarily concerned with the only thing that has an impact in eternity, which is the gospel, Christ crucified. And we shouldn't concern ourselves as the church with the workings of the government, which today is one thing, tomorrow is another, etc., etc. We shouldn't be so concerned with things of the world. But as individual Christians, we have vocation that impels us to be good citizens, and so we should care on an individual basis. I, I, I keep coming back to the thought, I don't think the, the institution of the, the Holy Church is, is a place where we should tell, we should, we should that, uh, is, it's not a, a, a club that we should employ against even bad government. I think that's the responsibility of the people. And that's where it's, it's a hazy line is the church is made up of the people, right? The church mm-hmm. and the steeple inside of the people, whatever, you know. Yeah. Um, there's, it's a struggle for me to kind of justify that to some degree, but. We, we don't, as the church, we don't seek to um, uh, govern, govern those who are governing the state or the nation. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but there may be times again where we speak out against uh, injustices that are taking place. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we see Martin Luther doing that yeah. with, um, um, in the midst of the Peasants' War, uh, when there was chaos, uh, p- peasants weren't treated well on the one hand, but the, um, uh, as they rose up and began to rebel against the government, uh, Luther reminded them of the authority that God had given to them. Reminded who, who's them? Reminded the governors. The, the prince, the, the left-hand realm rulers, rulers that, that you, you have, guys need to do your job. Yeah, you have a, a responsibility to mm-hmm. keep peace and not let chaos uh, reign. And so he, he encouraged them. They, when they acted, they, they went overboard in slaughtering a lot of the peasants. And so um, how easy it is to misuse uh, the power and authority that God gives us uh, in, in the different realms. But it's uh, for the government, it's easy for them to misuse that too. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the next one. So the next topic is uh, Christians' responsibility in holding the government accountable. So we as Christians have uh, unique callings uh, here in this country. 
that we are to participate in and we are to speak out for those who are oppressed and we should model good citizens. But how, how and in what ways do we employ um, our Christian vocations to hold the government accountable? So I guess the first, the first question that we should, we should approach or discuss here is under what circumstances should Christians disobey a ruler or disobey a law that a ruler has put into place? Okay, um, and that would be when those laws go contrary to God's command. Mm-hmm. Uh, if God commands us to do one thing, to love our neighbor, if our, our ruler would tell us uh, to act in unloving ways, uh, we would say we must obey God rather than man. Yeah, and I, I put and why, but let's talk about yeah. and how. How should we disobey if we are to disobey our government? And it's it's not to try and overthrow them mm-hmm. necessarily, but it's first and foremost in our country, placing it in America, uh, is to speak out against uh, injustices that yeah. have taken place. This is where I think uh, our, the, the model of Christian discipleship and seeking to imitate Christ has a lot to, to say to us here. If we are to disobey the government, we should do so in the way that Christ um, resisted authorities here on the earth. He didn't do so by seeking to overthrow them, like you said. He didn't do so um, by utilizing violence. Um, he didn't do so by allowing the oppression that he saw in the injustices around him to drive him into a rage. Rather, what he did is he, he allowed the injustice to be perpetrated against him and, and simply through his um, his you could say his uh, his peaceful demeanor. He he protested against that that treatment um, and and the treatment against others in his life. Um, he stood up against that, but not in a violent way. Instead, you could say he was one of the very first peaceful protesters. You could put it that yeah. way. The the one time when when Jesus acted in a more um, we might even say violent way is, mm-hmm. is when there was an injustice in the church. In the church, yeah, an and, injustice against God he and, had very little patience for. Yeah, yeah and he, when he uh, upended the, the tables of the money changers and, and drove out the people in the temple because they were making God's house, turning it into what he called a den of thieves yeah. and uh, uh, completely misrepresenting uh, God to the people. Yeah. He and, could get feisty to when people who had authority in the right-hand realm were abusing that authority against the innocent, too. So he would get onto the, he would get pretty heated when the Pharisees were teaching false doctrine or were, you know, not, um, not at work for the poor and the, the meek and the lowly. He'd get pretty hot under the collar about that stuff, too. Yeah. But um, once again, never violent, um, never... Um, never promoting right you know rioting and things like that and so as as disciples of Christ we should acknowledge that there are injustices there are things we should speak out against and stand out against but we don't do so in the way the world protests against those things rather we acknowledge humbly our role in it and repent of that then we seek to to peacefully um, speak out stand up against those things even to the point of being willing to endure self-sacrificial persecution. Suffering and hardship, um, and God tells us that's a part of living in the world. Yeah. So one of the um, kind of uh, great, I guess you could say, examples of that would be Martin Luther. He, he lived a life um, where he stood on what was right and what was God, God's word and God's will, 
stood up against the abuse of, of, of authorities above him. He did not do so violently, but instead he spoke out and he stood up against the things that he saw that were injustices, even to the point where he would have been willing to lay down his life. Now, he, God managed to protect Martin Luther because he had more work for him to do, um, and other people stepped up to protect him, but he was in a lot of trouble with a lot of powerful people who wanted him dead, and he would have been willing to lay down his life for that. Another example is Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. uh, and his life. He led peaceful protests and, and spoke up against uh, 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 things that were wrong, yeah. and, um, um, and he spoke very clearly and directly, but he, didn't, um, uh, he did not promote uh, violence against people or destruction of property. Um, but he just wanted to stand up again for what those things were good and right yeah. um, in society. Okay. Next question yeah. is, why do Christians in the United States in particular, meaning up and against other countries, why do Christians have a greater responsibility for holding the government accountable here? So. And uh, part of that comes back to how our government was formed. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it's a government of the people, by the people, for the people, and it was meant from the beginning uh, that we should be involved yep. and that we should speak out. Yep. And so uh, it kind of comes back to this idea that Christians don't really have um, the, the, um, the license to be apolitical in our country. We have, um, we, we have a, a conscience which convinces us that there are things in this world which are in need of justice, which are in need of, of punishing those who have done wrong and ill. And so we must step into the political arena to ensure our government is doing the things for which God invented it, that it's holding people, that we hold the government accountable so that it can hold its citizens accountable in a God-pleasing way. So, yeah. and, uh, and so, uh, next question, to what extent should character count in determining a, uh, like which political candidate um, uh, a Christian supports? Mm -hmm. um, and, or what about policies or the purposes that they have? Yeah. Where does our, um, uh, where does, how does character count? Um, and so how should we as, as Christian citizens look at candidates? How should we look at policies? Um, and purposes that have been established by government. Yeah, this was actually a question that was uh, offered up by a listener in the first week, um, and I wrote to them in in person on a, on one of our older videos. But I think it's a question that was worth bringing up, and this seemed like a good place to bring it up. Is um, if we as Christians are to have the responsibility to hold our government accountable, well, one of the ways we do that is through voting. So if we have a candidate before us who is moral or seems to have a good character but supports bad policies, what should you do? Or if they are um, completely amoral but they support good policies, uh, what should you do? And so um, this is one of those really difficult questions that's not exactly as black and white as it would have first appeared. We appear. would, might like it to be, yeah. Um, there, are, there are times where it's important for us as Christians in each of our lives to utilize the discernment of God and to use our, our reason, um, to apply uh, wisdom where, it's, where, it's where it has the ability to be applied. And so um, 
I cannot answer that question generically. Uh, if we have a, a person of good character but bad policies, what you should do, or vice versa. But in a, in a particular circumstance, I think it's worth talking about. So we've had an election um, this year, a, few, uh, a month ago, I guess now. Gosh, it seems so long ago. Where we voted for, for two men who kind of fit in an interesting, um, fit interestingly into this question. We have... Uh, a president, um, a current president, who um, for, for, for much of his career has supported policies which most, mostly Christians can get behind, but yet many Christians would find his, his personal character and morality to be questionable at best, if not um, somewhat lacking. And so is it okay then for Christian people to vote for a person that they find to have subpar character in their view, but who supports Christian policies. Vice versa, we had, um, you could call president-elect, I'll use that term because the majority of our, our institutions tend to use that name even though it's still contested. But you have a, a president-elect who, um, who on the one hand uh, claims to be a, a Christian and calls his Catholic faith the foundation of his life, and yet, when he um, lays out his plat- party platform, you see numerous examples of policies that he supports that do not support the views of a, of a Christian worldview, that actually fly against the, the expressed will of God in the scripture. And so, perhaps you have a, a person of, of, you could say, maybe more moral character, um, yet he does not support policies which, which Christians would get behind. So what do you do in that instance? And this is where I don't believe as a, as a pastor, I have the ability to tell anybody how to, how to vote or what to look for. Um, I would probably say that the, you, you, can, you can kind of put a little bit more weight in policy than in the character of the, the candidate. Because at most, a candidate's character is going to be influential for eight years in our country. However, the policies that a, that a candidate puts into place have long-stretching um, impact on society at large. And so I would put a little more weight in the policy side than in the character side, but that's Scott, yeah. not the pastor. Yeah. That's just my, my application, I think, of, of discernment. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm super excited to, to cast a vote for a person of, of questionable moral character. Um, and in the future, you know, with a generic character, um, a generic candidate in the future that I'm not yet aware of, I would say that I would probably focus more on policy than on character. Yeah. Because after all, these men are, are politicians. They're not pastors. They're not, um, they're not called to be uh, men of, of uh, men or women of um, excessive righteousness and virtue. Instead, they're called to be people who execute the law, bear the sword with, with justice and things like that. So. And, and that can be a very messy, politics can be a very messy um, uh, project to, to work through different policies and projects. Another, another question that kind of follows that is, is how should we treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ mm-hmm. if, if one person um, uh, chooses by... Uh, you know, they're in their mind uh, that God is directing them to vote for one candidate and another Christian might be voting for another candidate. Yeah, that's a, a very, very good question. And um, the number one thing is, uh, is 
love. That's the commandment we have for our neighbor. That's the commandment that much higher than the, than the vocation of being a, uh, an elector in an election is the vocation of being a loving neighbor to the person next to you. And so if you have a, a brother or sister who votes on the opposite side of the party line from you, that's the most important relationship you, you have in that particular moment. It's much more important than the fact that they voted blue and you voted red or vice versa. Yeah, there was a, uh, I don't know if you saw it, there was an, <clears throat> an interesting commercial that was produced by, I believe it was two people who were running for the, the governor position in Utah. Mm -hmm. And uh, they both came together in one commercial and said, I would like for you to vote for me. The other person said, I'd like for you to vote for me. But they said, we're not going to argue with each other. Mm. We're not going to put the other one down. Mm. And I just thought that was a... a a, a neat way of dealing with, you know, this is what we promote and, and, uh, and these are the policies that we want to bring forth and um, we're going to lay them at the feet of the people and just simply let them choose, but uh, we're not going to get into the um, uh, 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 fighting with one another and tearing each other down. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't see that that's good for our state. We don't see that's good for our people. Yeah. And I thought that was a, a, a good... Um, a good way to uh, to deal with with the differences, but yeah, uh, yeah. things can get pretty ugly um, in commercials, and and uh, I don't know if it it's really helpful to anyone. And and I've I've even heard statistics. I don't have anything to quote, but I've I've heard from statistics that that really doesn't change um, the way people are going to vote. Um, uh, in a very significant way. What it does change is over, over time, those ads become uh, an impetus for a greater separation between the two, the two sections, and you get yeah. a more polarizing nation because of that. Yeah. You see people stronger in the, in the blue and stronger in the red than in the purple in the middle. So, yeah. Okay, um, let's move on to this last section. So the last section is on the, the usefulness of Christianity to a functioning society. And what I mean by that, I guess, is uh, Christianity is a, a, a benefit to society at large, and we're going to talk about why that is. But um, society and government that oversees that society should actually want Christians to be good Christians because good Christians are good citizens, and good citizens help the nation. And so the first question is to look back um, at the history of Christianity and its interaction with governments and ask this question, what are some historical examples that we see in, in history of things that Christians have done to benefit society at large? And um, so they have, they have established a lot of things that help bring justice and peace mm -hmm. to the world, um, uh, that bring help to people. I think of hospitals, I think of orphanages, um, those have been put in place. Uh, for to, schools. For schools. Mm -hmm. um, those have been put in place to, to help people, to help them uh, grow both in their faith and in their responsibilities that God has given them mm -hmm. uh, as they live out their vocation in the world. Yeah. I mean, you can go back to the very, very beginning. What was the thing that made Christianity so novel in its early history is the fact that it, excuse me, that it cared for the widow and the orphan, that it supported the poor and the, and the homeless. And, and the needy. And the needy. And... Um, even in, in times where Christians were sore, sore persecuted, people had this kind of like strange reverence and respect for Christians who were, were taking care of the people that nobody else wanted to think about or no. care about. 
So I, again, I think in times of Luther, when the plague broke out, uh, most of the people left the city, but there were many Christians who stayed behind yeah, to help to take care of those who were sick. Yep. Um, uh, even to the point where some would get sick themselves and die, and, uh, but they were willing to serve their neighbor in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's what God had called them yeah. to do. And it's this self-sacrificial character of Christians that not only makes a good Christian, but makes a good citizen. I mean, when you hear stories of valor um, among citizens, you hear of things like people diving onto the tracks on subway trains to pull people out, and you see things like you know soldiers uh, laying down their lives or putting their lives at great risk for the benefit of, of the other. And that's, that, those are the kinds of traits that society at large promotes as being good um, being good traits of good citizens. And so um, what, better in, what better environment to raise good citizens than in the church that teaches that its, that it's savior, that it's, uh, that it's God was the one who did the greatest act of self-sacrificing ever. He's the, he's the prototype for how you, you know, lay down your life for the betterment of your fellow man. So, so, uh, and so should government then support the church, and if so, in what ways? Yeah, they, they should, and not in terms of like, of, um, you know, being involved in the, in the business, and, or not in the business, but in the, in the proclamation of the gospel or anything like that, but governments should support the church because the church is of benefit to society. It's one of the greatest forces for good in a, in a nation is, is the church. And it's been true in, in America, especially throughout its history, that the government and the church, although we have this, this advocacy for the separation of church and state, the government has leaned heavily on the church to be a strong force for good in terms of um, of the welfare of its people, caring for the needs of the, the, the lowliest in our society, caring for the, the education of its children and the, and the promotion of uh, greater um, justice in society. And so um, the, na the nation and the government has leaned on the church and should continue to do so. And we as Christians should be prepared to step into that responsibility to say we are good citizens and in so doing we also have an influence on how that government operates. Yeah, I think of the, the COVID virus when it broke out against, uh, or when it was in New York, I think mm -hmm. there was a, a Christian group that was uh, promoted by um, uh, Franklin, I'm gonna, what's his first Graham? name? Graham. Graham. Yeah, Graham Fr and, um, but they established a, a place to, uh, to receive those who were sick and to care for them when the hospitals were overloaded. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, even to the point where, again, people were, were ready and willing to give their lives for those who were sick and in need uh, because that was the need of their society. Yeah. And uh, what, a, what a blessing that became. That became a, a little bit of a, a, a political lightning rod, some things. Some people thought they were doing it to... Uh, to promote a, their cause, um, and they, they simply wanted to do that to take care of those who were sick yeah. and, and in need. And so this is, once again, I, I come back to vocation all the time. This is why it's so important for Christians to take seriously the role that they have in promoting the good of society and, and your, your fellow man, because it has this, this ripple effect. It has this ability to, um, to have a real and lasting impact, not just for the sake of the gospel, which is the chief reason why we do all this stuff, to bring people to faith in Christ. But even the, the residual effects of living at your vocation benefit people who 
have have no relationship with Christ whatsoever. You know, there are there are Islamic people in the United States who benefit from the Church of Jesus. You know, the the body of Christ. Um, there are people who uh, who are atheists who benefit greatly from the church being the church. And so we as Christians should never shirk our responsibility to be good citizens and to be people who benefit others in society. Yeah. Um, other examples, are there some other examples of, um, um, of things that Christians can be doing um, that are useful uh, in our world and uh, specifically here in America? Yeah, I think this is kind of uh, a question that's directed at the audience is what are some things that you do um, every day or every year to be of benefit to society? Um, not, not simply as a Christian, that's a, that's a part of your identity and that's why you do it um, it's, that's the reason why you serve. But even beyond that, what are some ways that you seek to be a good, uh, a good citizen to live out your vocation? So um, some things that people can do, um, volunteer for things. There's a lot of opportunities for social welfare in our, in our communities around us. And they, just like every other organization that's a nonprofit like the church, are just hurting and hurting and hurting for more volunteers. Yeah. They need people. They have... They need resources, but they actually find that resources are often there and ready, but they don't have the hands and the feet to employ those resources. And so yeah. volunteering your time is a huge thing these days. Yeah, it could be as simple as even helping your neighbor. Yeah. Uh, they need help cutting the lawn or raking the leaves, um, uh, running to the store to pick up some items. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, simple things can be done uh, right in our right in our own neighborhood. Yeah, and those seems like small beans kind of things, but if all the Christians in the world did a few more of those small beans things, the world would be a much, much better place. There'd be a much less hurt. There'd be much less um, suffering due to sin. And so uh, a lot of suffering and sin is perpetrated in this world because Christians are not living out their their vocations. So... All right. That kind of brings us to an end of our, our discussion for today. Um, anything else we need to cover? I guess next week we're going to be moving on into that topic, the issues that God has say about, the, something that, that he has in, the, in his word to, to speak to. So um, it should be a, an interesting topic for next time as we get into the weeds of American society and politics and talk about some of the key hot-button issues and what God has to say yeah, about Yeah, so them. we will meet next week, but the two weeks after that, we'll, we'll, we'll take those, uh, those Wednesdays off, yep. but we are meeting next week. Yep, so we'll be off the 20, I believe it's the 23rd and the 30th, I think is what it is. So. Yeah. Um, but we will be back next time. So. so shall I close this in prayer? Please do. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, the gifts that you've given us, uh, the gifts of government, uh, the gifts of church, the gifts of home. Uh, we thank you for giving us uh, vocations, callings, as we live out our life in a very practical way um, uh, within our government, within our church, and within our home. We ask you to be with us today, guide and lead us, uh, remind us that we are always accountable to you and to others, and may that accountability move us to, to love and serve those around us and to humbly uh, live as your servants uh, as we care for your world and do the work that you give us to do. So be with us, keep us safe this day, we thank you for this time, and we just ask for your presence to go with us even as we find ourselves in this season of Advent, waiting, uh, looking for the birth of your son, but also looking for his second coming again. Uh, So guide us this day in your name and all God's people said.
Amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us. Have a great day in the Lord, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can watch it live on YouTube or Facebook Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central, and we post the podcast on Thursdays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.